Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Mm -hmm. I actually fell for the survey that said, hey, you want a phone? Like I filled (laughs) it all up. Because it said, hey, Bell employee, you are uh, a winner. Thank you for your years of service. Like, what? This is great. Mm -hmm. So then I fill it all out. I'm like, how's your service been with Bell? I'm like, great. Outstanding. So we just need that credit card once again. Mm -hmm. They had like a wheel, like a Price is Right kind of wheel. And so I spun it. And (laughs) the first time it didn't land on anything, they're like, oh, you get another spin. I'm like, yes, I get another spin. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. They prey on that emotion. It's still so fun to win something. You spun the wheel twice. I spun the wheel two times. Mm-hmm. Did the computer fix today? Got it fixed in town in someone's basement. Uh, I guess I trusted him. Uh, That's probably the same guy who sent me that <laughs> survey on my phone. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. on schedule baby it's like we hadn't eaten fiber in a couple months Uh, that's not the analogy i would have picked (laughs) had how do you completely avoid fiber for two months you would just be you just have a big rock in your tummy well you probably could you couldn't pass a thing like if you ate zero fiber for two months just like hey this we're doing something we're doing a podcast here, <laughs> He said you can use a vacuum. That was our, uh, that was one of our camera operators, Ali. He's a great guy. But wait, if doesn't you, always doesn't always look around and see what's happening. If you ate nothing dude. like but gummy worms, there's no fiber in gummy worms. Just gummy worms, nothing else. I don't understand what your analogy is here. No, like, you said how could you could you just simply um, eliminate all fiber. No, no, I'm saying I know you could, oh. but I'm just saying you, you, that would just be so bad for you. Oh, yeah, body. don't do that. Don't do that. So this has been fiber talk. <laughs> but then there's the other uh, aspect of it, and that it's, there's still so much advertising about fiber. You know, like there's still all the breakfast cereals that have the high fiber still very much like, this is going to help you poop. Yeah, big fiber. They're a big company. Right? Fiber, fiber. Fiber. Remember that uh, SNL sketch colon blow? (laughs) (laughs) Phil Hartman did where it was like, you would need to eat 1,000 boxes of this fibrous cereal to get as much fiber as you get in one box of colon blow. And then there was super colon blow. Ah, that was a good time. Have you ever had psyllium husk? I believe that's the... I've never had. No, you? That's a colon blow. Now... For what reason did you, uh, you just give it a try? Or? Someone said, hey, if you want to like uh, feel, uh, feel lean, cleansed, cleansed yeah. here you go. And I was like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> so is it just like peeing out of your bottom, kind of? No, you just, uh, it gets everything out. Right, right. Like you, you're done. You're, you're, you're done. You're you're empty in there. And you got the high-pressure sprayer on your insides. You've emptied the chamber. It's finished. Um, I, I like this chat. It's uh, like the old days. Hey, by the way, uh, Tulsi, um, I li- I'm glad that, that 
Christoph started the podcast by going back to my uh, my poll for the Bell phone. Never did hear from Bell. Oh, and what was the poll? What was the result? I never got a phone. Oh. I never got anything like that. Hmm. But you heard from uh, Instagram today, I understand. They're uh, <laughs> a little worried about you. Maybe some, some innocuous things happening to your <laughs> IG account. First off. I wish we had video. Well, there is video portion of this podcast, isn't there? Yes. Because yes, there uh, is. Because we're being filmed. So, again, we're in the studio again. Oh, can I just go back very quickly? Because I noticed Jimmy Traina does this on his podcast. Okay. First of all, please like, subscribe, rate, review this podcast. If you're not already subscribed to it and you just happen to pop on it because you're an MMA person, uh, like, subscribe, rate, review. And then... Uh, if you missed last week's podcast with Mina Kimes, it's fantastic. Go back and listen to that one. And then next week, Dan, we have Rob, our friend Robert Lucetich, longtime uh, golf reporter, analyst, writer, and he is in the Tiger Woods doc. Yes, the He's Tiger very Woods prominent in it. Yeah, the two-part uh, Tiger doc. It's just called Tiger, and it's on HBO, which means it's on Crave. You can get it on Crave, and it's fantastic. I've seen the first part. Did you watch the second part yet? Started the second part today. Okay, so by next week, we will have both seen it. Robert is someone's, in the dock. Someone's microwave's done. Someone's done heating up food. Mm-hmm. So uh, second part of the dock we'll have watched, and then we'll, all, we'll discuss it with Robert, who's in it. So that's just giving you a heads up. That is on next week's podcast. Robert Lucetich will talk about the Tiger Dock. Last week, Mina Kimes. And this week, it is our MMA analyst, Robin Black who will be talking about the upcoming Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight at Fight Island this coming Saturday. Get back to, I wish it was video portion, because right now you've got a new look. Oh. And I, and I don't know. My mic fell down. Oh. Sorry, Jim. How's that? You've got a new look, so I don't know if it's serial Thanks, killer, uh, a teacher, or teacher I'd stay away from. Oh, for me? Yeah. I was thinking maybe uh, like Brian Cranston's body double. Yes, see the exactly. How's that? Because yeah, you're like uh, he's a science teacher, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's cooking meth. He's crazy. <laughs> he's cooking up some meth in his spare time. <laughs> well, the reason, just a quick backstory. So I'm wearing. I bought two new pairs of reading glasses. I love them. But the one pair I bought were just full-on hipster, like full-on wire ring. These ones. These ones yeah. I have from the 80s. I kept them at home thinking my wife, my wife. would like them better. <laughs> and what I found was I would have them on my bedside table and I'd be reading and she'd look <laughs> over at me and she'd be like, ah! Yeah, like if you're thinking anything's ever going to happen while you're wearing those, you are sorely mistaken. You are completely off. You are creeping me out right now. So I had to bring these ones from home to work uh, and take the cool ones home. Work. Well, <laughs> uh, some of my work glasses. Yeah, so these are my work shades. I don't know. I dig them, but I don't. Maybe they're just not right for me. Maybe they're, they're fine. <laughs> they're not the right ones for me. Here's how. Here's where my life is at right now. Okay, so this is exciting. We've now, but we've discussed how I now watch Little House on the Prairie. Yes, every ha- day. Had a long Vision conversation TV. with my oldest brother, Sean. He is now watching the reruns. Okay. Here's a text he just sent me. Higgins from Magnum was on Little House today. <laughs> the pen and the plow. So I'll watch that when I get home tonight. So do you <laughs> think because you guys grew up on a farm 
that there is a little bit of tinge of nostalgia, perhaps, yeah. maybe a little yearning for your childhood, perhaps? I guess we watched it growing up. Oh, okay. I don't really recall that. That makes sense because I remember you said your mom wouldn't let you watch Three's Company. <laughs> but well, that was, there's nothing wrong. Uh, but, uh, that, but she obviously thought there was, it was just so much innuendo that it was too much for oh, yeah. your ears. Not, no innu- innuendo in uh, Little House. And also, the other thing on Three's Company, if you go back and watch the um, reruns, Suzanne Summers, what a knockout. Like, mm-hmm. what, a, what a stunner. And she would often, I think as was the style in the late 70s, She'd just have a T-shirt on, no bra. That and was she was style. very um, well endowed in that department. And uh, yeah, so I could kind of see why your mom might flip on the TV and see Suzanne Summer's nipples and then be like, yowzers, kids can't see this. Whereas for me, I was watching <laughs> it every day after school since I was seven. <laughs> and that explains a lot about my development and why things turned out the way they did. Yeah. So that's where my life's at at this point. Okay. And then what about the Instagram? I wanted to ask you about this Instagram thing because I also got the same message from, I'm putting Instagram in quotations, from Instagram. Should I read it? Yes. I think you should. Okay. Because it is a wild ride. So as I'm reading this, maybe give quickly, give the backstory before we start. Uh, The backstory is right there from the beginning. Here we go. From Verified Badge Center. Okay. That's at verified badge service dan gets a direct message hello tsn o'toole a copyright violation has been detected in a post in your account if you think copyright infringement is wrong you should provide feedback otherwise your account will be closed within 24 hours so that's right. the gist they said gonna be shut down <laughs> click on this link dan replies yeah exactly and then of course they have a link to click on a, a help center dan replies um what <laughs> And they reply, hello, there are a lot of complaints about your account. We recommend verifying your account, otherwise your account will be reviewed and closed for a certain period of time. Dan says, okay, I will do that now. I can't believe all the complaints about my posts. And then they say, let us know if you think this is a mistake. And they send you that link again to (laughs) click on. Dan says, I am definitely going to click on that link because I definitely want to fix this. With so many people complaining about my posts, although graphic in nature, I didn't think they would offend anyone. The person replies, I understand, sir. And Dan says, it only shows slight nudity, but it was tasteful. Is that what all the complaints were about? My partial nudity? And the person replies, we're just going to go through your account. You don't have to panic. We care about confidential. They actually wrote, we care about confidential. Please contact us via the link we sent (laughs) you if you want us to fix this. Dan says, I am defied. Definitely. Oh, I'm definitely... Uh, clicking that link. I'm just scared because of all my nudity on Instagram. <laughs> my bum bum for everyone to see. So ashamed. They reply, sir, please help us. No one will have access to your messages. We're just going to get security on your account. We can't do it without permission. Help us. Dan says, on Instagram, my bum. People complained about my bum bum. So ashamed. What number can I call you at? And says, hello, my name is Emery. Facebook Turkey from Customer Support Line. <laughs> And again, I'll just repeat that sentence. Hello, my name is Emery, Facebook Turkey from Customer Support Line. Just click on the link and confirm your information. Dan replies, hi, Emery. I can't click on the link. I have no fingers. I need to call you. I am so embarrassed about my bum bum. What number can I call you at? 
They say, I can only contact you through this portal. If you do not use the specified form, your account will be permanently deleted, though. Nudity and sexuality. <laughs> no, it says, if you do not use this specified form, your account will be permanently deleted through nudity and sexuality. <laughs> Dan says, but I have no fingers. How do I click on the link? Click on it to confirm this information, they say. Then Dan says, can I talk to Mr. or Mrs. Instagram? Are they available? They know me. We went to a dinner once at a Waffle House. Mr. Instagram had a banana. I thought it was funny. Please tell them it's Fart Boy. <laughs> they will know who that is. They reply, I'm afraid I can't help you. Your account will be permanently deleted from our servers within six hours. I am sad, they say. Oh no, says Dan, I am shattered. The link is right there. I can't click on it. Life is so unfair. I wish I had fingers. And they reply, can you give me your phone number and I'd like to get in touch with you from there? Dan says, I can't answer because of the whole no fingers thing. I can only dial with my voice. I've let the world down, Dan says. I've let myself down. I let Mr. and Mrs. Instagram down. Tell them I love them. Wait, I just spoke to Mr. Instagram, Dan says. I can't believe what he just told me. He said, you're trying to scam me and he doesn't even know you. Why would you do this to me? I have no hands. Emery. How? How could you do this? I thought you were my friend, says Dan. We were going to go on vacation together. And you do this to me? How? It replies, my goal was to just have fun. I was going to go into your account and share my personal account. I'm sorry, forgive me. That's the actual reply from Verified Badge Center. Yeah. Dan says, we can still have fun on vacation. <laughs> then they reply with a sad face emoji. It says, can you share me in the story? And then there's some, what I think is Turkish written here. Mm -hmm. Dan says, of our vacation? Of course, we're best friends. They reply, you'll make me very happy. I love you, man. I'm the account. Dan says, I can't wait. They say, I just wanted you to share it in the story. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. I just wanted to get you into our account and share my personal account. That was my whole point. So Dan says, so my account won't be shut down? I just vomited. Forgive me, they say. Dan says, at least I found my car keys. They were in my vomit. I don't even own a car anymore. No hands. They reply, I love you so much. Yes, he did. I only made it so my friends could see me and I'd be happy. Would you please share my account in the story by saying, Emery, I love you, man. Don't break me, he says. I get it. I you off. I'm sorry and good night. Dan replies, how would I break you? Are you fragile, like an egg? He replies, yes. <laughs> Dan says, do you have yolk inside you? He replies, no, there's a heart. <laughs> and then several sad face emojis. Dan sends several emojis of his own, including hug emoji, prayer emoji, and heart emoji. The verified badge center account replies, are you going to share? You're my buddy, my favorite brother. Dan says, share. Yes, I have plenty of milk and apples. I will share it all with you. Then they reply, I'm going to sleep crying. Dan replies, oh no, do you have Corolla virus? <laughs> then they reply, I loved you, but I made a mistake. Dan replies, so did I. I knew it was too good. So what are me and Mrs. Instagram really like? I've only met them eight times. Do you live with them? Their dog, Bark Bark, is so cute. Don't you agree, says Dan. 
Stop making fun of me, fat man, verified badge center replies. He turned on me! He came after me and then turned on me! Dan then replies, pardon me, you piece of Get a life, you are pathetic. Spending all day trying to get people to click on a link so you can scam them. Holy you are a pitiful human. Bye-bye, <laughs> And then I blocked him and reported him. So that's the story of Dan and Verified Badge Center. I hope all you kids enjoyed it, and Leo can have a pleasant slumber. Oh, my God. Oh, that was weird. So he went from trying to get me to click on a link to saying he loved me. Yeah, yeah. He's... In the span, like, that conversation was a span of eight minutes. He was very conflicted about his feelings. <laughs> So don't click on the links. Yeah, don't click on the links and don't answer Bell Media phone surveys. Let that be a lesson. These last two podcasts should be a lesson to everybody. <laughs> Stay off your phones altogether if you can. Yes. Now let's call Robin. Yeah, let's give him a call. And because we've wanted to have Robin on for a long, long time. Our MMA analyst, insider. I, I want to talk to him about, to me, the fact that Joe Rogan is the premier... MMA analyst in America and Robin is the premier MMA analyst in Canada. It's such an amazing parallel because they both had different careers before this. Yeah. Yeah, and, Joe Rogan, comedian, yeah. um, then a sitcom star. And I almost remember uh, Joe from show host. News Radio. Yep. Long, long time ago. Like he and was then just he was on kid. X Factor after that. Right. He was the host of X Factor. He had, he's had such a fascinating career, just as our guest has had a fascinating career, and we're so excited that he works with us <laughs> here at Bell Media. Robin Black, how are you? Where are you right now? I'm in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. Home friend. of the Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah. I know Justin's dad a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, Stratford's a beautiful place. It's a nice place to be from. If, you, if you're um, going to be locked down right now, we can walk in the streets and... And yeah, it's good. I love it out here. My wife and I got a little house, and, uh, and I'm thrilled to be just hanging out with you guys and chatting. This is awesome. So, are you typically, though, Robin, are you in Toronto or Stratford, like full time home even pre pandemic? Um, it's back and forth. I have my YouTube studio is in downtown Toronto. Once upon a time, that was my apartment. Now it's my YouTube studio that sometimes we sleep at. <laughs> it's a completely different world. You know, how quickly the, the universe around us changes in technology and the way we make decisions and what we do. But, uh, yeah, I'm in there, you know, a couple times a week. It's two hours back and forth. But right now there's not a lot of cars on the, on the highway. And you listen to an audio book and try to learn something. And, and uh, yeah, a bit of both is nice for me. So I used to go to Stratford um once a year with my family it was our one trip our family trip a year because it was the biggest farm festival in the land so we would go there and see all the stuff you needed to see about pigs <laughs> so we, we would get to go to stratford walk around a pork convention for a couple days and then go home so we never saw anything outside the pork convention but stratford looked great anyway, that's, that's, so my, that's my stratford story I, I love it because most people come here to see like some highbrow like Shakespearean theater. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, my wife was in um, Rocky Horror a season or two ago. That's when we decided oh, wow. to, to live here. She played Magenta uh, in Rocky Horror at the Stratford Festival. So that's what really brought us here. And wow. uh, yeah, we love it. But 
But hey, man, I'm going to that pig festival thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You didn't know you had all this amazing stuff just right in your no. backyard. <laughs> no. Um, Robin, okay, can we go back to um, your career as a musician? I distinctly remember... Uh, in you are the '90s to me as a music, as a rock star. Like I distinctly remember uh, the Much Music days. You were born for those '90s music video days. You had the look. You had the band. How did Robin Black and the Intergalactic All Stars all come about? It's so weird to talk to you about this band uh, because you know. So for people that are listening and, and aren't old like us, <laughs> I wore you know thick, deep, rich eyeliner and had purple hair and created a character. Um, that, and I mean, here's the thing: I couldn't really sing. Like my wife is a professional musician and singer, and I know that now. But I knew it then. But somehow that just didn't matter to me. It didn't seem relevant. To, to become a lead singer in a rock band that you couldn't sing. And there's, there's just something about that that I was lucky and gifted with. My parents kind of convinced me as a little kid that anything is achievable if you break it down into small little bite-sized pieces and chase it and work hard at it and, and accomplish things. And, and that included, you know, now I, I talk on television. I have a list, which is essentially a speech impediment. I talk on television despite that or with that i could not sing i was a singer in a rock band you know i'm not the biggest or or most athletic guy i lived and trained and, and fought as a professional athlete um these things are all possible um but i had the good fortune of having some parents who hypnotized me into thinking that was so when i was a little kid and so wanted to be a singer in a rock band so i thought to myself well what do singers in rock bands do and i slowly started learning that Except for the singing part, which I never got good at. <laughs> now, how many festivals of, in your life did you play alongside Limb Lifter and Rusty? Oh, good ones. Uh, so Limb Lifter, two of uh, the, the Doll Brothers, they uh, were in Age of Electric as well. Yes, they and, were. And Age of Electric, we opened for for sure 80 times. Limb Lifter a couple as well. <laughs> wow. But, but John Kearns. So the other two brothers, and, and the Limlifter guys I love, and I love their music, and I love the guys. But the other two brothers, the Kearns, Todd Kearns is now the bass player in Slash's band. But John Kearns actually later joined my band for my second album and was one of the best men or best people at my wedding. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so, and is one of my closest friends in the world. Um, but yeah, uh, Rusty was, and I didn't know those guys as well, but that whole era is a really interesting formative era for people, you know, who, who followed not only music, but entertainment or culture. I think that's probably a heavy, yeah. heavily using, misusing the word culture, but that whole era, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one for sure. And I'm super like, if anybody's Googling Robin Black and the intergalactic rock stars right now, I kind of look like an, <laughs> but, but, uh. I'm proud of it. No, you played the part. I I think you're selling yourself short on a lot of levels. I think you were you were not a bad singer. There have been many many worse singers in this country. (laughs) Okay, I will admit that. (laughs) But but I will say to your point though, it was kind of the '90s was such a magical and the early 2000s such a magical time because there was that visual medium element of it, and it wasn't like there was. Uh, YouTube now where there's just so many bands and so many videos and it's got to be so hard to stand out and for you guys though 
Uh, they had to play the Canadian videos, right? That was part of their 30%. license. 30%. And, and you guys took advantage of it. And yeah. there was a real music culture in this country uh, around that time uh, that I yeah. think maybe we don't have quite as strong at this point. Yeah, maybe so. And, you know, the musicians I played with were very, very good. And, uh, and we put on a show. And that's something that, without question, I can look back and if my friends saw it or people look at it now, I'm confident that as much as I may have some hit up into C-plus vocals on my best day, I was an A performer. I was an A, you know, front man and, um, and, and put on a show and brought people into a party and created an, an experience. And, but, you know, I'm really now into, you know, and as we all get past 35 and then 40 and then 45, and now for me, 50, I'm really into figuring out what the lessons to be learned along each piece is. And when I look back now, um, the difference when I went to fight was you could not just wear tighter pants or have better makeup and make that work when you fought a man in a cage, in your underpants, in front of people. I couldn't hide behind being a good performer or having a cool personality or making people laugh. Or There was an incredible truth to fighting. And I think that's what one of the reasons that really drove me to it after. I had this weird discomfort with being somewhat successful despite the fact that the root materials of the thing I wasn't at the highest level of. I was tricking the system, entertaining the system, making the, you know, whereas in fighting, none of that's possible. You've got to go fight somebody in your underpants. Everybody's going to look and that that cliche, the moment of truth, is the greatest cliche in all the world. You stand there and a guy's going to punch you in the face in front of your family. That's true. Like, how prepared are you? How skilled are you? How mentally ready are you? How tough are you? How, how courageous are you today? That's all just going to be proven to be truthfully on display uh, based on what you do now. And there was something about that that I learned from going through that one path and then kind of ending up in the path of... of um, uh, competition where I really realized like, you know, you had to go in and you had to, to figure out, uh, improve your weaknesses and, and look for your weaknesses and try to become better. So Robin, the time between you left the, uh, the stage to enter the octagon and had a pro fight, how long of a time span would that have been? Uh, it was about two years. So I'm, I, there, the unfair nature to the, you know, if somebody heard the story is, I was a martial artist as a, growing up, and it is a part of that belief system of people can do anything, is if you work hard, that's why I always encourage people who have kids to put them into martial arts, because when you train, you get better, and when you get better, you can you, you achieve a belt level, or you do something you couldn't do a week ago, and you get this inherent intrinsic proof of hard work and what it can do. Um, so I was a martial artist growing up, and I was a gymnast. I was a gymnast and a high diver as a young, young kid, a gymnast at you know, five and six years old and, and a, and a one-meter, three-meter and platform diver in my late teens and a martial artist. So when I went and, and kind of stopped, you know, chugging beer on stage with no <laughs> shirt on and, and in eye makeup and then, you know, moved towards fighting in a cage, that was about two years, but... That, that's misleading because there's the root of a, of a child athlete in there as well. And then the other aspect of it for you, Robin, is you, you start to fight, you, you compete. How long do you compete? How long are you a competitive fighter 
to the point where you decide, okay, now I need to once again transition and possibly become a broadcaster and an analyst? I think, to me, the, the, and I, just even saying this out loud is so cool, but this is what I wanted to be doing. And a, and a part of me knew that I wanted to, needed to, needed the test and the search and the pressure and the learning of fighting. So I, that was honest and, and real. But I also kind of knew that if I'm ever going to sit next to a cage, you know, and, and analyze fighting or commentate it live or, or show people about it, I will not earn that right without fighting. So they were, all, they were connected from the beginning. They were connected from the beginning. I didn't realize. I thought I would fight once. I would get into the, the ring or the cage, and I would do a jumping, spinning kick and knock the guy out, <laughs> and the ring card girls would want to marry me on the spot, and, you know, I would become a, a, a world beater and, a, and have a, you know, there was no YouTube at the time. Well, yeah, there was YouTube, but there was no Instagram at the time, but I'd have 10 million Instagram followers, and I'd be super famous forever. What actually happened was I got my face beat in for seven and a half minutes, and I lost. And, uh, and, it was re- and it was difficult, and I fought my heart out. That's the scary thing. And I worked my brains out, and I was prepared. And I had, like, UFC-level trainers and fighters as, and, and training partners like Mark Hominick and Sam Stout and guys like that that were teaching me. And Chris Hordesky, who was, you know, is still at that level in London with those guys, uh, who was cornering me in my second fight, and I still wasn't able to win. And then I fought a second, and so I thought, I'm going to fight. I have to experience winning. I have to overcome this. I fought a second time, and I lost again. And I remember, the, you know, and I tried not to pay attention to the world around the media and how what people said, because I not only accepted but really welcomed the fact that they were going to mock me. And I deserved it, and I would earned it, and I put myself in that situation, and I was going to accept it. But when you would see it, because it was unavoidable, the conversation was, I guess this thing's over for this guy. The experiment of this um, eye makeup wearing, you know, <laughs> B list much music rock star trying to be, and I use rock star in air quotes, trying to be a, a fighter. I guess that experiment's over. Well, I then won. The next one I fought hard and I trained and I, and I had a last minute uh, change and I won. I submitted the guy in the first round. And, and I, I tell George St. Pierre, who's become a good friend, this. He laughs and he retells it. And he's like, you, you know, when you hear Robin say, he says, he's going to fight till he wins. And then he wins. And he says, well, I just want to even my record. <laughs> so then I fight again. And they offer me this small regional belt for a Canadian title. So I say, yes. And then I want to just like, and then I want to experience it. Then I want to, and it's a just, a, I want to keep learning. So in the end, I fought nine times as a professional athlete. My first fight was 10 days before my 39th birthday. Hmm. And and I do say that with pride, and I'm not a I'm you know I'm I'm not a prideful person anymore. I'm a, I'm, humility is important for me to continue to learn and to to remind myself of how little I know, so I can keep studying all those things. But I am proud to say that I fought nine times as a professional athlete. My first fight at 39 years old, ridiculed mercilessly within the within the field, uh, but I earned it. You know, I earned my spots. I took my beatings. I got carried out on a stretcher. I won. I lost. I earned a small regional belt. And, and I did the things that needed to be done. And, I, and at the very end of it now, and this is always why, where, you know, when you're looking at it, I say it's very difficult for me to analyze some of these things in truth because I only had nine professional fights. Mm. And I mean that. You, a lot of people with no fights 
uh, you know, you watch sport. We watch sports, and we think we can analyze it. I only had nine, but nine was enough for me to realize how little I understand it at the highest level. How little I truthfully understand this wild and beautiful, beautiful and visceral engagement between two, the brains, the highly trained nervous systems of two athletes under pressure. Uh, you know, the more you learn, the less you know. And that's one of the great, beautiful things about studying martial arts. Before you walked into the octagon, the feelings you had compared to the feelings before going on stage, are they similar or completely different? God, that is such a smart and interesting and real, and real question. Because it was it, my 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 response to it now is so much deeper than it would have been before. So when I'm going to the first fight, and I, by the way, people always say the first fight's the hardest. That is a complete lie. The second fight's the hardest <laughs> because you know what it is now. <laughs> In the first one, it could you know it, it could be easy. You don't know, right. uh, and no matter how hard you think it might be, it will be harder than that. The pressure and the fear and the anxiety and all those the 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 way that you, the the um, hormones and nerves and stuff in your body will be. But so in the first one, I remember going out into the arena and looking out, and there was like thirty five hundred people. It was the in Gatineau at the oh, the Robert Gertin Arena in Gatineau, and I remember thinking that feeling when you play in a band and you have a big audience, you just jazzed right up. And I remember really consciously looking out and having that feeling and then realizing all those people were going to watch me fight and that I was going to be, and this doesn't matter later, but at the time, you, you're, the, the incorrect thoughts hit you, including I'll be judged by, on this. And then, of course, that's not a very good thought to be having. Um, but my next thought was, I see this as an exciting thing because of my, you know, 2000. Uh, musical performances. There's a big crowd. That's a that's a plus for me. But I thought to myself, that's a minus for my opponent. To him, this is bad. There's lots of people here. This is bad. So that was a really, really kind of interesting kind of experience to it. But the there's so much more on the line for real. Again, I think that was part of it. Like by the time I was done playing in a band, I knew how to do that thing. I'd put the outfit on, I'd put the makeup on, I'd get the swagger together, I'd grab my crotch, I'd pour the uh, Jagermeister down my face, and I would <laughs> dance around, fling it into the audience, I had the one-liners that I said in between, I had this way to, and I just put it on and it happened. In a fight, not, you know, there's so much on the line, you are literally walking out to put yourself into a situation to be humiliated for all time and possibly uh, sustain brain damage. Yes. It's like, it's just so heavy, right? And that's, that's also why it's thrilling. It's also why it's terrifying. And it's also why it's impossible, truly impossible for somebody to understand from a distance. So you, you complete the nine fights. You feel at the time that you've gained enough experience that you could become an analyst. How does it actually happen? How do you become the analyst that you are today? So at that time, uh, God, it's so different now. You know, now if some and I, and I get this a lot, and I know you guys get this too. Hey, how do I become a how do I become a, a sports guy? How do I how do I do a my verse? And the answer now is start a platform and do that thing, right? That's and that, true. And that's yep. that's yep. what if you're 15 right now and you're 
and you're the, you know, you're twice as good as Jay and Dan, which I find difficult to believe, but not impossible. Uh, it's quite possible, Rob. <laughs> it's actually probable. I would say probable. <laughs> uh, but, but all you have to do is get your phone and do it. Yeah. But back exactly. then, we needed to find a job, right? Yeah. So uh, I pushed to, I felt that I had, you know, I, I'm obsessed with not just martial arts now, but how to communicate this thing and how to understand it different and how to look at it appropriately. I always was. Um, but... Uh, so I pushed, you know, people knew me because of my story. So I pushed to get any chance I could to be able to do, you know, a commentary is what I love and what I wanted to do live commentary. But if somebody would say, well, hey, will you uh, stand backstage with a microphone and interview the fighters before and we can't pay you anything or give you gas money or a hotel? I'd be like, yes, 100 percent. I want to do that. So I pursued that hard. And then eventually there was a network. It still exists. Um, but it's called Fight Network, and I pushed to try to get something there, and I eventually got a couple of days, and then it became like anything else. How do you get better? You know, how do you improve your skills? Take some risks, try and fail, you know? And slowly over time, and that environment was amazing. You guys have probably come across a couple of producers, Bob Torrance, Glennie Mack, Glenn McDonald. There was oh, the, uh, Glennie Mack yeah. is an old TSNer. What a great guy. Yeah. yeah, what a great guy. What a great guy. And so we got some good luck to have a couple of these guys. So Glennie Mack, for, for people who you know, wonder about the process of television, uh, typically somebody comes in and says, here's what the show's going to be. Jay, you sit there. Dan, you sit there. Dan, say this. I mean, not in your guy's case now, but that's how we typically start. Glenn came in, myself and, and a guy named John Ramdeen, who's a dear friend and very skilled, a very, very cool guy. And I love working with him. He's my, I was going to say he's my Jay, but I would say he's, I'm Jay. <laughs> I get to be, I don't know. Yeah, he's one of you anyways. And I'm the other in this sort of, very close relationship. And, and Glenn went in and he literally said, well, guys, here's the show. And he just put a tick on a whiteboard. He literally wrote a tick. And we're like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, everything else, you just, you just go with what you think. We're like, well, what about structure? He goes, some weeks you guys just talk for 22 minutes. Some weeks you'll make segments. Some weeks you'll have three segments. Some weeks you'll have one. I'm like, well, what should we talk about? I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> what the hell? And, and we were just like shocked because, and that's a little more normal in a world of podcasts now yeah. because people literally grab two mics and start talking. But then that just didn't exist. And, and Glenn literally was like, you guys, I watch you guys talk all day. Do that thing. And over time, we'll, we'll adapt some stuff and figure out where to put cameras and light you in ways where you're not so ugly. And then we'll make some television. And we literally, for a couple of years, just got to go and color outside the lines. And that was the biggest, that was definitely what, sort of that biggest area, those formative years. They literally would let us talk, and then they'd build a show around it. They'd, they'd shoot it on all the camera angles and then cut the cameras around and then add B-roll later. We had no rundowns, no discussion, uh, no outline. It seems outline, like a lengthy no process. It seems like they could have streamlined it, but it sounds yeah. like it was a great environment to work in. It really was. And also, some of it is dictated just by what you have and what you don't have. So we could go in, sit us down and shoot at 8 a.m. 
but our computers at that network were so slow back in the day that it would take all day, for real, for dead real, it would take all day to, to download things and convert them and stuff. So in the meantime, they would like have made some notes of B-roll. So the process of what had to happen with the technology that existed forced this procedure so that at the end you had a show and an editor would work for nine hours to get it up in time. And me and uh, John Ramdeen would come in the next day, and we would just talk about fighting again. But that no rules, no boundaries, no structure environment really was big. Uh, it, it, and it taught me what was possible. It also made you better when you're in a world where people do tell you, this is the structure, here's our topics, here's what we're going to talk about. It was super modern. And Glenn, is, like you mentioned, Glenn McDonald is a brilliant producer and a wonderful guy. But some of it was just also accident. He was just like, ah, you guys do this thing and we'll figure it out. And so we were very lucky. And then from there, Joe Rogan started to become a big fan of my work. And uh, he's probably been the biggest ingredient uh, of sort of helping direct me into places and get people to pay attention to my work and encourage me. And, and he's been a big, 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 huge help. Uh, and sometimes that's, you know, and he's just a generous dude. Like he just really is. Well, you, um, you were just talking, you, you mentioned him and I'm glad you brought him up because we were talking about him before you came on Robin and, and saying you guys have so it's such an interesting parallel. Like the fact that he is, was a comedian <laughs> You know, I, I remember the first time I saw him on a UFC pay-per-view, and I thought, that's the janitor from news radio. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> I know. Right? I know. And it's, yeah, you're right. I'm like, and I don't even sort of always make that connection. I guess, you know, my friend now, and you also admire, this is a guy, you know, who was the janitor on talk radio and was, you know, saying, ew, you got brains in your mouth. Now, what's the texture like or whatever on, uh, on Fear Factor? Uh, but he's also a brilliant martial artist. He's a, multi he's a black belt in mul multiple martial arts. He's obsessed with it. And somewhere in there, I guess, yeah, he... I don't think he saw it either, although he found it interesting that I used to sing in the glam rock band. But he was just very encouraging. He was a fan and then a friend. And then he was very encouraging, very helpful. He kind of he recommended me once. So while I was at Fight Network, Joe literally called Dana White. I was asking Joe, I went on, he invited me down to L.A., I did his podcast, which was it, just as cool as people probably imagine it is, probably cooler. Uh, your biggest concern is, like, don't smoke too much weed with Joe Rogan before you do the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Just don't. My mom will be mad forever. Um, but uh, it's just as cool as you might think. And then after that, I somewhere, he, he said, here, take my number. And I thought, that's so weird. Joe Rogan literally gave me his number. And I was going through some, you know, business pressures and stuff and I texted him and I'm like can I ask your advice and he phoned me like seven minutes later and he's like hey hey brother how can I help I'm like wow and I asked him some advice he says I said um do you know Dana does Dana know you I'm like no not really he goes send me some of your stuff right now here's the email I want you to send it to just send me some links anything done on YouTube I'll send it to Dana uh you should be working for us so I'm like okay uh that's crazy uh and so I sent it to him and like under 20 minutes later, I get a text from him. He's like, I sent it to Dana. He's freaking out. He asked for your phone number, so I gave it to him. Like, that's so wow. crazy. Yeah. Then that's on a Friday or a Saturday. On Monday, the vice president of the UFC calls me and says, we want you to come down to L.A. Uh, we, you know, we're, we want to bring you on right now. Uh, Dana really enjoys yourself. So a few weeks later, I'm in Dana White's office, and I'm walking through with him how I think Holly Holmes going to kick Ronda Rousey in the head and knock her out. 
uh, for real, that was our conversation, which is really bizarre in retrospect, because anyway, uh, so we're talking about that. We're standing up. We're like acting it all out. And at the end, uh, Dana goes, OK, here's the plan. We're going to move you and your wife to L.A. And uh, you're going to be on uh, UFC Tonight on Fox every Monday. And you're going to do our pre and post shows and do your breakdowns. Welcome aboard. Go introduce him to Lorenzo. Uh, so I go meet Lorenzo Fertitta. And they say, you'll have, you'll have a contract with us in four days. Uh, that was five and a half years ago. I still have no such contract. However, <laughs> uh, yeah, because, and that's not uncommon from, especially somebody who's so like, you know, Dana's universe is make this thing happen like it's a television program and I'll see you in LA. And then the real world is, well, how we move this guy here, who's the boss of that thing, who's the senior VP at Fox, he didn't know about this. But in the long and the short of it is that process put me into that ecosystem where I was meeting some of these people, people, different people were seeing my work. Dana did bring me down to LA or to Vegas to, to analyze McGregor versus Mayweather for ESPN and a number of these things. But through that pro and somewhere in that whole process, Aaron Bronstetter, who is our, our uh, reporter, yep. when I was, and he's, Aaron's amazing. I mean, you guys know Aaron. He's, he's, people that watch TSN know Aaron, but he's also such a wonderful dude. Like, and he's such a good guy. And I used to just hang out with him in Vegas uh, when, and we would have a beer after we worked um, when we uh, were covering UFC stuff. And I was with Fight Network. Fight Network closed their production department in 2017, I think, maybe 2018. Literally said, we don't make digital content anymore. And I know we could all judge that. Uh, in retrospect, as, a, as, a, as an odd business move, but it's not uncommon. That was a very common response to how technology was changing at the time. When that happened, Aaron literally, within a week or two, sent me a message that said, I want you to meet Ken Bolden, the vice president of, UF, um, of TSN. Uh, Ken's absolute genius. I went in and met him, and he said, yeah, you should be working for us. If you can get um, George St. Pierre to do a documentary on his fight with Bisping, uh, let's bring you on. So I, so wow. I, I, text, I texted George, and I was like, bro, <laughs> bro, I literally don't have a job right now, but I will have one if I can travel with you and do a documentary. And I knew what he was going to say. So, oh, I'd love to, man. It'd be great to have you around. I talked to Rodolph. Rodolph is his agent or, and his manager and a friend. So I sent Rodolph a thing. And Rodolph's response was, oh, man, you used the word documentary. I hate that. And <laughs> I took that as a check because you have to travel with him. But I'm, George and I are friends, like real friends. And, and um, so George, I guess, talked him into it. And then I traveled with George, went to L.A. and Vegas and New York and, and Montreal. And we built a documentary with the documentary crew at TSN. And then next thing you know, I worked at TSN. And now That's I'm talking so to you guys. That's that such a wild story, And man. by the way, if we go back to when, uh, when uh, you're supposed to be hired for Fox, you would have worked there at the same time we were at Fox yeah. in L.A. We would have met you 100%. there. hundred yep. percent. Yeah, you guys were there. We were meant to be besties forever. Yeah, we really were. And it eventually <laughs> happened. Okay, so let's get into this weekend. This is so exciting, Robin. You've got Connor. You've got Dustin Poirier. It's, uh, it seems like such a different for so many reasons, not just Connor's angle, but Poirier's angle too. It almost seems like it's a refresh. It's not even like a rematch. It's like these are two different human beings compared to the last time they fought. Yep, and the fact that you, you're saying that right now just makes me so happy that, that we know that. Ten years ago, even five years ago, we just didn't think this way. But now we do, because 
and and we don't have to just think this way with Poirier and McGregor or Jay and Dan or you know anybody. We all change constantly. We are the re- there is no such thing as Conor McGregor's left hand or Dustin Poirier's wrestling ability. Those aren't fixed constructs. They are the result of ongoing hard work, training, deliberate practice, learning, adjustments to the process. That is all of us all the time. And the fact that this is the front end of the conversation to me just delights me, you know, because why do we watch sports? And you guys know I've I've been like a fan of what you guys do for so long. And for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is you will look at it differently. And it's, it's natural for you guys. You guys look at it, look at sports with a humanity and a humor and a, and something we can learn from while also not taking too seriously unless it is serious. It's, and that's why I connect with it. I'm the same. Why am I looking at martial arts? I like seeing people punch each other in the face. Uh, and I appreciate the, the, the inherent value in it, but I'm learning stuff. Like I'm learning to me, the study of martial arts is the study of the universe. You know, the secrets to the universe lay inside the sacred moments of combat and what we do to get there. And the fact that these guys, we all now understand that a Conor McGregor is not a video game character. He is the result of the work and the preparation that he did in the months, weeks, days, hours, and minutes beforehand. That just absolutely delights me. The, 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 downs, the challenge of that for what we do and how we've done it is that doesn't play well into what we used to think our job was. Our job used to be, well, who do you got? Well, McGregor's got like that crazy big left hand, but if Dustin Poirier can close the distance, get him to the mat, use that black belt level jujitsu, like that narrative used to be our job. But to, if we break that one and now start to examine the results of hard work and the results of, of sacrifice and the results of changing your thinking and process, we, it makes our job weird. I mean, it's easier in, a, in this environment where we don't have, you know, <laughs> 20 seconds to be able to explain something. We can chat about it openly. But it also, like, allows us to see the world differently. You know, the, things aren't concrete. Everything isn't, you know, um, uh, a result of everything else necessarily. It's all very mobile. It's all very... Uh, process oriented and and so the, the biggest question what what this off this kind of conversation often leads to is who's going to win or can this guy stop this guy's takedown or what does he do about the punch and the answer is we really don't know and i think that's beautiful it's it's uncomfortable for a lot of us who have tricked ourselves into thinking we should be able to predict sporting events or fights or or political like you know politics or news or or weather or whatever, but the truth is we don't know. Uh, and that's, but that excites me. McGregor has never looked, you know, it's, uh, it's not a bodybuilding contest. It's a very typical uh, cliche about fighting and it is not a bodybuilding con- contest, but your physical body is a reflection of the work you've done. It's a physical manifestation of the work you've done. That dude's been working. And Conor McGregor motivated and driven and focused and, 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 and doing everything right is a really, really dangerous yeah. guy. He, and, and he's not like dangerous like other people. He has the potential to be a different level of capable of things that most humans aren't. And the way I see it is even more dangerous now because before, when he had all that rage that was on the surface, you could 
kind of find ways to beat him because, okay, you can get this guy off his game. Now he's got the money, he's mellowed, he's a different Connor, yeah, and he might yeah. be the most terrifying version of Connor. I agree. And, and, and he might be. And Dustin Poirier, is all, this is the trick for me now, is I, it's difficult to remove the human. If you really want to look at these things and really meaningfully look at these things to remove the human from the athlete or to remove the mind and the emotion and the, and the soul from the performer. Um, because Dustin Poirier is a better human being than he was, too. When, when he was young, he fought in either Quebec City or Montreal, and he knocked out this guy. I forget that the young man's name. Uh, Corasani was his last name. Very dangerous, you know, gr- a great action fighter. But Poirier was on a different level, and he knocked him out in a firefight. He won $65,000 at the time was the fight of the night. And I said, I pulled him aside. I think it was on camera or not. I can't remember. But I said, if it wasn't, it was because it was something I wanted to know that I would talk about on Monday anyways. And I said, Justin, you could have beat that guy with a jab and a low kick. Why did you go in there and fight him like that? And he literally puffed up his chest, and I could feel how authentic this was, how real this was. He was like, that's how I fight, man. I want to go in there, and I want to feel it. I want to experience it. I want to be in the fire, and I want to come out the other side. And I looked at him like, whether a camera was on or not, this is who this guy is. That's not who he is now. He's a dad, and he's somebody who raises money for charity, and he's somebody on a martial artist's quest to be the best he can be. That's a different human. He's not just using different skills or fighting with different strategies. That's a different human. The nuts and bolts and the cells and the blood and the skin of that man are, is not the same. And, and that, to me, you know, that doesn't fit easily into our boxes of how we talk about fighting. But that's the kind of stuff today that is deeply fascinating me. But you brought up Holly Holm and the kick on Ronda. And to me, that is exactly what compels me about boxing and mixed martial arts and always has since I was a little kid when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson, right? And at the time, it it was inconceivable that that could even happen to Mike Tyson. He was so dominant as a heavyweight boxer, the concept of anyone even getting close to him. So to actually watch him be systematically destroyed... Uh, it was just fascinating. And then, again, with Ronda, because when Dan and I were down at Fox, it was all Ronda. Ronda was all over everything. Ronda was all the billboards, and she was indestructible. Mm-hmm. And she, the way she came into the octagon, it was just like this. Nobody can beat this woman. And then she flies. A, a typical, you can't fly across an ocean, I feel. If you're a champion, yeah. you have to stay in North America because <laughs> yeah. that's what hurt Mike, and that's what hurt Ronda, and, and Holly got her. And, but that's, isn't that what is so amazing about, about combat sports is that there truly is no way you can predict what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah and, and the wild thing is, when we look back and when our vision is blurred by history, but it's also informed deeply by it. When we look back, we can make some sense of how all connected it is. You know, everything you're saying is connected. Um, Jason Palter, you guys know well, he produces Sports Center, um, and I work, get to work closely with him, and I love working with Jason creatively and, and as personally. And, and on the... Um, the, uh, what was it, 25th, 30th, I forget, anniversary of No Mas, where Duran 
retired in the middle of a fight. Uh, Jason was like, Robin, I want to do something big for this. And we did a two-part, six- and seven-minute pieces, so 15 minutes of storytelling around Roberto Duran in the middle of a fight with Sugar Ray Leonard. And he had just destroyed Leonard four months earlier, quitting in the fight, saying, no mas, no mas, and we all remember it. And when we examined that, among, again, George St. Pierre, who I'm so proud to have as part of my life, uh, story when I'm telling a story that that this great man is part of my story. Um, we I called him again and I said, "Man, will you be part of this documentary?" And George, George is the balance between humility and confidence that one needs. He has the most extreme humility I've ever seen because he's looking for flaws so that he may get become delighted to find them because now he has something to work on. That's how he lives, and that's why he's so great. And so he's not overly a prideful person, but he tapped out to Matt Sarah in a fight. In the first round, Matt Sarah knocked him. And, and we had George on talking about that. And I've talked to George about it at length for many times over the last 10, 10 years. Um, and he talked, he talked about it and about the feeling of it and that it was over. And it's still, I could see it still bothered him to talk about. But he knows without question the becoming great, so you're, you're George St. Pierre at the time, you're Mike Tyson, you're Ronda Rousey, that greatness is what it is when it's in you. You're living it and you're feeling it and it is a part of who you are. You are the experience. You're not the experiencer, you are the experience. And that's who they are. But as soon as they start to see it from the outside, it affects them. So now, how many times does Mike Tyson have to hear he's the greatest, the baddest, the scariest, till he believes it in such a way that it becomes a root belief, I am this. The second he thinks that, he loses his connection to, I am the result of the things I do. And as soon as that happens, you get worse. And when Ronda fought Holly, Holly prepared for the best Ronda. Holly knew what Ronda was, and Holly knew what Holly was, and, and Buster Douglas knew what Mike was, and Matt Sarah knew what George was. And they bring their best. And you think, if you're Tyson or, or uh, Ronda Rousey or George St. Pierre at that time, that you're bringing your best. But you're lying. You're not bringing your best. You're walking around, doing less rounds than everybody else, you know, uh, taking pictures with people, doing all this, you know, Instagram posts, everything but the things that made you great. And you are not great. You are the result of hard work. Robin, that's, that hard work, that's, all of, you know? that's all about the Rocky Three theory, right? I mean, you know, Rocky's, uh, he's not training hard. Clubber Lang beats him. That's all about Rocky. All they had to do was watch Rocky Three, Robin. <laughs> that's right. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. How the world sees you informs how you see yourself. And, but all of this is connected, right? Um, and, uh, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing. And, I mean, what lesson can you learn from that? There's lessons tucked into all of these things. And Rocky III, uh, at the time, we thought that was stupid. But now you clearly point out this is a genius piece of filmmaking. <laughs> um, quickly, the, the Connor effect. It, can it even be uh, put into words how much he means to the UFC, uh, his fights compared to everyone else's? So interesting, you know, when, when he was going to, to uh, I watched the documentary about Oasis, you know, the band Oasis, mm -hmm. and there was a scene in it where there was literally more than 100,000 people at an outdoor concert, and the frenzied, ferocious 
connection the audience had. They were moving as one, and you're watching it, and these are these weird times at a Super Bowl or something. You're like, wow, humans in a pack, can they change how they connect to something? And that the uh, the brother, um, uh, Gallagher, Gallagher, uh, Liam, Gallagher Noel? brother, Liam, Noel, Liam, Liam, <laughs> Liam is standing there motionless, and he talked about the power it gave him to be calm during all that. It's a really great, I, I, it's a documentary on Netflix about, and just that one nugget, I'm looking at it and going, that's kind of what Conor McGregor, at his best, and he's not alone, others have sort of found this little, this little sort of moment in the void where you can capture and connect to people and make them go, you know, lose their minds, and you are calm enough to do something that appears magical at the time. And, and can he do that? Uh, again, maybe he's a different person and he's in a different environment and he, we've seen him lose. And, but losing helps you reset and, and get better. So, but yeah, um, when he fights, it's a different thing. You know, my, my mom will know that fight's happening. Yep. My mom lives in Edmonton in a senior's home and the UFC does not get mentioned uh, <laughs> ever. And it's not on her television unless she's watching TSN. She might watch you guys. She probably doesn't watch me. Uh, although she loves her son, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, she'll know that's on, and and that's a wild thing. He said, but uh, and he's only still thirty-two. Yeah, he's not. He's that's the other thing. He's been around so long. You forget. It's a little like we were talking about Sidney Crosby the other day. He's only thirty-three. He's, he's played for sixteen years. It's like wow. Okay, that's insane. Um, so I know you. We don't want to force you into prediction here, but do you? Well, I just got to ask you, who do you think is going to win the fight this weekend? I mean, you see the two universes unfolding, but I, I imagine, I, I feel like, God, I didn't realize how hard of a question that actually was. My, my tendency now is to start to resist drawing a conclusion so that I can continue to gather information. But I more likely see Conor McGregor blowing everybody's mind because he has the capacity to do it. But whether or not he does it will depend on where Dustin Poirier is at. You know, Khabib versus Justin Gaethje was another one of these, where much uh, 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 Dustin Poirier fought Khabib and lost, had a bad performance. That was valuable to prepare him for this one. When... when um, when Gaethje fought Khabib, Gaethje was at his best, saying the right things, like looking correct, things sounding like he's thinking correct. Everything was right. And then you got in there, and you're like, oh, my God, right. Khabib has the capacity to do things other people can't, and he made this guy look ordinary. That is very possible here. I feel like mm. McGregor at his best, performing at his best, can make uh, all other people look ordinary unless they're doing the same thing. So you know, a lot of it is up to Dustin. Like, how good is he? since the time he elevated to this level and face Khabib. Okay. Uh, uh, but I, I think McGregor will knock him out. That, if, if you force me to make a prediction, that's the one I imagine. Happens. Oh, okay. That's good yeah. to know. All right. Well, I got one last question for you. Uh, if you could do this quickly for me, this would be great. And I asked you ahead of time. I've never done this with any of our podcast guests. I said, I'm going to ask you this question when you come on the podcast because I wanted you to be able to think about it. The three fighters in your mind that will be headlining, dominating... Uh, dictating what happens in the UFC in five years. The up-and-comers, the ones that will be Conor, Ronda in five years. Who are they? Yeah, I really liked that 
too. And and it felt when when we were chatting and DMing and chatting off, and you brought that up, I thought, wow, it, that's a really. If I'm going to be truth, it, it's easy to just list three and, and start talking. But if you're truthful, you have to balance in what the reality of that is. And and really, you don't know till somebody's 25 or 27. Uh, so Peter Yan is 27. And Peter Yan is very likely to dominate till he's 32. He is the bantamweight champion in the UFC right now. And I say that because the seasoning has to be there. Like, I was in Russia sitting cage side commentating Peter Yan's uh, rematch of the only fight he ever lost um, three years ago. And he was 23 years old and blowing your mind. You're like, if this guy still continues, this could be healed. And now he's the champ. So that's one where you can, and that's the other scary thing is you blow out your knee and this whole conversation ends. Right. right. Uh, but uh, the seasoning has to be there for it. Uh, you know, potential is wonderful. It really is. But, and then Valentina Shevchenko's 32 years old, but she's a, like a ferocious young woman. So she will dominate. For three, for three, four, five more years. And again, Valentina Shevchenko at 26 years old was already on that track where you can see it. But I got a controversial one that I think is interesting that people would be like, oh, would respond poorly to, and that's Sugar Sean, um, Sugar Sean O'Malley. You, um, people respond poorly to hype, which is really interesting now. People see hype or see buzz or see sizzle, and that actually they, they knee-jerk downgrade their opinion of somebody, which I find fascinating when you think about it. And so Sean O'Malley lost his last fight. He got his, his calf muscle or the, the nerve underneath the calf muscle damage, and that was the end. And that loss was probably key to his seasoning improvement. And, yeah, he fought a former cha- a WEC champ before that and stuff, but when you look purely at skill – and today, I think the athletes who in 2024 are going to be really, really able to be a different class are thinking about martial arts more holistically than just running plays. The guy, and I, when I say that, it pains me to say this, but Uriah Faber is a brilliant fighter. And he's retired now or close to it, but he was a play runner. He was a super athletic, super driven guy who wrestled, boxed, ran plays, put together systems and implemented them like football. Um, I think the best fighters are going to operate outside of that. It's going to be a much more holistic, much more, much less structured, much more creative, like Izzy Adesanya. But so uh, Peter Yan, um, uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley, and although Shevchenko's 32 and it's not much of a prediction, she's already the champ, she is not even at her best yet. So those three come to my mind. Robin, we appreciate it, buddy. This is great. This is so great talking to and you, And when my this friend. is all over, the three of us will all go to Fight Island. Oh, that would be fun. Yes, I love it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love you guys, and I, I'm a big fan of your work. And it, it actually, it's, just, it, it's a real pleasure and a, and a thrill to hang out with you guys, for real. It was, it was so much fun. We you got to say your, uh, your catchphrase. Oh, yeah. oh can we get us. your, just to, to sign off, your, your amazing <laughs> catchphrase? Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. And until next time, enjoy the hostilities, my friends. There he is. Robin Black, amazing person. Thank you, Robin. Okay, that's it. That's the podcast. Next week, Robert Lucetich will join us to talk about the Tiger Doc, which is available right now on Crave. 
What a fun podcast. Thanks, Robin Black. And uh, don't forget to check out Mina Kimes from last week. And uh, now we've got to go write the TV show. Yeah. They're going home. to the Jay and Dan podcast brought to you by our friends at McDonald's James Duffy presents the rubber boots podcast so we're sitting down at our table the, the waiter comes up and he's like profusely sweating <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us he goes hello I am not well <laughs> I'm very ill. <laughs> you no, ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.